Well, there you go, gang. It's a beautiful day. You know what that means? That means it's Tuesday night, and we're ready for our Tuesday night brainstorming session. I'm your host, Dan Miller, here to welcome in one of our uh, one of our hot guests. As usual, we've had a whole lot of people on here to share their wisdom, and every week we just tap somebody on the shoulder and say, hey, share your wisdom and expertise and insights with us. Tonight's no exception. Tonight I got my longtime friend and buddy, Tim Knox, on the line with us. From Alabama, Tim, how are you? Did you just really call me a hot guest? Yeah, man. Hey, I man. See you I'm in my mind. That a high, that's a high compliment coming from you, sir. How are you? I'm visualizing you in my head here. I'm good. <laughs> good. <laughs> scary. Hey, great, great to have you on. We're going to have a big time tonight with, with one of the hottest topics, incidentally. Uh, one of those things that just seems to be common among most everybody in the 48 Days community and the world at large, what percentage of people say they want to write a book? They have a book in them, Tim? You know, everybody I talk to has a book in them, or at least thinks they do. The trick is getting that book out, right? Boy, no kidding. Well, you know, surveys show time and time again that like 81% of Americans say they've got a book in them if they knew how to get it out. So we're going to talk about how to get it out. And if you're listening and you got questions for Tim, we're going to cover a whole lot of information. We can easily fill our 48 minutes, believe me. But if you got specific questions, now's your chance to ask them of an expert. So jump on in there. Uh, wherever you're listening to us here, you'll see a, a little blank spot there. You can put in your question. If you're online over at 48days.net with Jen McDonald, Man on the Fort there, you can put it in there. We'll see those as well as the regular teleseminar space where you can submit your questions. So welcome in. Lots of people coming on here as I'm talking. Lots more coming on from all over the place. Washington, Indiana, Colorado, Tennessee, Virginia, Alabama, North Carolina. Wow. Anyway, welcome in. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground with Tim. Now, Tim, i got to read a little bit of your bio here. Obviously, I know you well. I could introduce you, but just for the sake of people who may not know your name well, I'll give them a little bit of information here about your background. Tim is a serial entrepreneur who has founded successful multi-million dollar businesses in technology, marketing, media, and retail. As a sought-after corporate speaker, published author, talk radio host, syndicated business columnist, and self-professed mama's boy, Tim's unique perspective is enjoyed by thousands that listen to his radio show, read his books and columns, and hear him speak every year. Now, I'll inter interweave some more as we go along. What we know you most for today is your very popular, highly ranked podcast on interviewing authors. So you have the privilege of week after week after week having on big-name authors, asking them about not only their books, about, but about the process of writing. How much of those interviews is really about the process of writing as opposed to the content in their particular books? Well, actually, I would say probably 90% of the content of those particular interviews focus on the, the process of writing uh, as well as their journey. You know, the way that I got interested in doing this show, Dan, was, I mean, you and I both know, uh, you know, we're both old writers. I've always been really interested in publishing. But, um, you know, I've done business books before, but I did a fiction book. I did a novel. And after I wrote it, I didn't know what to do with it. And so I went out and I did a lot of uh, research. You know, everybody thinks, well, I'll just go get an agent and then I'll get a publisher and I'll be rich by Friday. Boy, that's not how it works anymore. 
So what I did was over the course of several months is I did a lot of research and found out that there were there's kind of a process to it. Uh, you've got to have talent, of course, but there's a lot more to it. So what I wanted to do is start a show that didn't just commercialize the books, but actually talk to these authors. I wanted to know, you know, how long have you been a writer? Did you write when you were a kid? How did you write your first book? How did you get published? So uh, as far as the interviews go on interviewing authors, probably 90% of the interview is about the process, and then the rest is really focusing on specific work. Okay. And, of course, I want to let people know real quickly they can access not only your upcoming shows but all the archives of people that you've interviewed at interviewingauthors.com, right? It's exactly right. If you go to interviewingauthors.com, we're also on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spreaker, all of the outlets. But uh, we have at this point, I think we've got 75 interviews on there. And it's not just, uh, you know, New York Times bestselling authors. I kind of do the gamut. I've got authors on there uh, that have sold, you know, dozens of books on the New York Times bestseller list. But I also have successful self-published authors that are making a, a really great living just self-publishing their work. They've never been on any bestseller list, but they have developed huge followings. And, I mean, their books sell in the tens of thousands of copies every month. And I think that's what you're – we're seeing, Dan, as people, ever since self-publishing became so easy to do, uh, you can actually carve out a very comfortable living for yourself and, and never be a best-selling author. You can just be what I call a constantly-selling author. A constantly-selling author. Jeez, I love that. Mm-hmm. You know, just yesterday I heard an interview with Gary Vanacek. I mean, we know him as a wild guy who made a big splash in getting on online businesses. His first book was Crush It. His more recent book is Jab, 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 Right Hook. But the interviewer asked him if he was going to continue with big-name publishing houses or if he would just be doing it himself, knowing what he knows now. A great question. It was a great setup. He said he has one more book because of his initial contract. I think it was Simon Schuster. Anyway, one of the big New York houses, and he contracted for multiple books. He has one more to do, and he said at that point he probably never again would do it because he sees it as, as too static a process where he likes to have the ongoing engagement with his audience, which you can do if you self-publish, get it out there, give your readers a way to connect with you. Now, now one of the things that I want to make a distinction on real quick, and I know that you know both sides of this coin, you have written both in the fiction and nonfiction genres. It's, to to have, me, yeah. it's very different. I mean, I have, don't have a clue how to promote fiction. Address that a little bit. I know most of my questions are going to be slanted toward, you know, the self-help, motivation, the nonfiction side, but how much of this is applicable for fiction writers? Well, I, th- I think it, it, the fundamentals that are there, but you're right. The, the two genres, fiction and nonfiction, are very different. And, you know, if you are writing uh, nonfiction, a lot of your success has to do with your platform, and you are the master of this. You have built this wonderful platform based on the 48 days concepts. You've been doing it for years. You know, you're one of the pioneering self-publishers, but you've got a platform built up. Once you reach a certain level, when you write something, you've got a ready-made audience that is going to uh, embrace your work. Now, if you're writing fiction, uh, it's completely different because you don't really have a platform. You're not delivering a message. You're not teaching. You are delivering pure entertainment. So what you have to build up is is a readership, 
And it's very different from having a platform where, uh, like uh, you, Dave Ramsey, Seth Godin, Vaynerchuk, those guys that deal in the nonfiction self-help realm, where you know you're going to be able to build a speaking career around that. You're going to be able to, boo, to do DVDs and CDs and build a whole industry around that. If you're writing fiction, it's much harder to do. You may do audio books, but you're not going to do teaching. You're not going to do lectures, that sort of thing. So the, the fundamentals are there, but the two genres are very different in how you, you market and you build an audience. And nowadays, and you know this, 99% of being a successful author is building that audience. And you have to do it pretty much by yourself. You know, Vaynerchuk, one of the reasons I think he wants to get away from traditional publishing is traditional publishers now pretty much print and distribute. That's it. They don't do – unless you're in the top 1%, unless you're Stephen King or someone like that, you're not going to get any promotion. You're not going to get any marketing. They're going to print your books. They're going to put them in bookstores for you, and they're going to keep most of the profits that come from your book. That's why a lot of authors are now moving into self-publishing because rather than getting a few pennies per book, they can get, I mean, the lion's share of whatever profit comes out of those books. Now, one of the things that you touched on there, Tim, and I want to go a little bit deeper with that, that is in, as an author myself who writes in the self-help and motivation, nonfiction side, it's really easy to leverage that core message into speaking, coaching, live events, you know, doing other audio products, take off instructional manuals and all of those things. So that in essence, I really don't care if I get royalties on the original book. It's just one method of getting exposure to lead people back to all the other things where I really make my money. Now, I know that's frustrating as can be to fiction writers because they say, oh, the, the book, that's it. I got to sell the book. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, it seems really difficult, and I certainly don't want to discourage fiction writers, but it, it just seems like you're so much more limited. How do people like, geez, you know, Danielle Steele or James Patterson, how in the world do those people start to get that kind of momentum? Well, you know, it, it can take years and years and years, <laughs> and, it, you know, sometimes it may never even happen. And, you know, the, you make the point perfectly. When you are a, a, a nonfiction writer, especially if you've got a platform that you can build, you can productize everything. You can have books. You can have workbooks. You can have, you know, everything. But when you're a fiction writer, basically what you're doing is you're putting out fiction. You're selling books. That's going to be about it. Um, you know, it's very difficult to get to a level of a Daniel Steele or a James Patterson. You know, where Patterson is right now, he doesn't even write books. Books yeah. are written by, and I'm doing air quotes here, by co-authors, and he puts his name on the cover. But that also works in the nonfiction realm. Michael Gerber of the E-Myth does exactly the same thing. You know, he has gotten to a point in his life where people are – are writing e-myth books in niche markets, Michael puts his name on the book, and they all enjoy the profits. So uh, it's, it's very difficult, and it really is just a, a tiny fraction of fiction authors who make it to that level. It's very, very hard to do it. And even now with, with self-publishing, uh, it's more competitive than ever. You know? But you know, I like to think that talent rises to the top, but I think the truth is the, the best marketer may rise to the top. You know, that's an interesting mix because mm -hmm. you just you just showed two sides of the coin there. You really need to understand marketing, but there's no sense wasting your time trying to market an inferior product 
to start with, you better have a really great product. Now, Tim, you and I first met at a writing conference, correct? We did. We did in, in Orlando, Florida, I think. Orlando, Florida. It was one of the Mark Victor Hansen conferences. Mark Victor Hansen being one of the co-authors of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. We went to a conference, met there, and I know one of the things that uh, Mark always told us when we were there is, you know, everybody wants to be an author, and what he tells people is this, write a book, do a really good job. Now you're 10% finished. And that's kind of what you're laying out here. 10% is having a really great product, but then there's that 90%. Now you, Tim, have done both sides of this in both both genres. You have written fiction and nonfiction. You've been with a major publisher and you've self-published. Tell us a little bit about your own experiences in those four quadrants. Well, it's kind of funny that weekend that I met you in Orlando was the weekend that I actually got an agent uh, for my book. And oh, I, I had written right. a uh, – yeah, I, I came home and uh, I said, gosh, I got to meet Dan Miller and I got an agent. You know, God is good. <laughs> so I kind, of, kind of made my weekend. But uh, my experience was I, I had written a, a syndicated newspaper column for about five years, a small business advice column. And I had compiled those articles into a manuscript that I wanted to sell as a business book, small business advice. Uh, I went to that conference in Orlando, and, and just you happened to be there, and I just read your book, and I heard about you, of course, on Dave Ramsey. I'm like, wow, this is such an honor, and you're such a great guy. Uh, and, you know, we, I think we, you know, we struck a friendship, I think, that will last forever, but you also motivated me to get off my butt and go sell that book. And so I did. I got an agent that weekend. Uh, he actually sold the book to John Wiley the following week. I got a really nice advance check, you know, and, and boom, that was it. I mean, they, they took the book. They took the manuscript. They did everything. You know, I did a couple of little uh, book tours, and I promoted it. But that publisher did most of the work. Well, you know, those days are gone. <laughs> they really are. You know, when you are a self-publisher, uh, you're the one that gets to do, to do all the work. And, you know, you're exactly right. When you write a book, you're 10% there because you really have to be an entrepreneur. You have to be a writer. You have to be an editor. You have to get that cover design. You have to get that book on Kindle. You've got to do the marketing, the social media. You have to do everything. And that's one of the, the interesting things that I've found in, in interviewing all these authors that I have, especially the highly successful self-published authors. They will tell you that they don't get to write as much as they would like to write because they're too busy marketing and selling and doing everything else that it takes to sell those books. So, you know, and they would argue with you if they had more time to write, they could create more books, but if they didn't focus on the marketing, they wouldn't sell any books. And that's that's the face of self-publishing now. You know, you you may be in the 1% where you get an agent and you get a real publisher and you get a nice, uh, you know, uh, check up front, but the other 99.9% .9 of us are going to be doing the self-publishing route where it's very easy to self-publish, but it's still very hard to sell books. Yeah. Now, you know, we all can see how the technology has changed. And like most changes, it can be either good or bad, depending on your vantage point. It's totally decimated some of the big publishing houses because it's, they no longer have all the cards in their hands. So it's made it a lot easier for any of us to get in the game. You can write a book tonight and tomorrow morning have it on Kindle and Amazon, the biggest you know, distributor in the world of books. So you, you can do it. There's no barriers to that. Let's, let's break down a little bit for our listeners tonight, though, Tim, 
some of the logistics financially. If we get a deal with a major publisher, and let me just talk like from the vantage point of working with some of the Christian publishers, I'll use their figures. So if I get a deal with Thomas Nelson or BNH, Zondervan or NAB Press, one of those, typically my royalty as an author is going to be 15% of the net. That means if it's a $20 book, they're going to sell it to Amazon for 10 and that means I'm going to get 15% of that or $1.50 a book on a $20 book. That's pretty typical. Now, help us understand what actually can happen if you self-publish. What are your options and what are you going to get percentage-wise? Well, you actually have a lot of options, and, and typically it's based on the price of the book. You know, it's it's very easy to set up a, a Kindle uh, account. You know, you, you basically uh, upload a Word file. You upload your, upload your cover art. You say, okay, how much are you going to sell your book for? And your royalties on Amazon can be upwards of 70%. And the nice thing about it is there's a couple of sides to this. Number one, CreateSpace uh, is a publishing on demand service. So you can upload your book and sell paperback copies, and they print them on demand. And rather than getting 15% of the net, you can get 75% of the cover price. You can also do ebooks, and this is uh, one thing that I find very interesting is a lot of the established authors who have been published by big name houses are now pulling back their digital rights and doing their ebooks themselves because they get such a greater percentage. So, from a percentage-wise point of view, you can get a much larger percentage if you do self-publishing. But again, you've got to sell those books, and that and that's the key. You know, the typical book goes up on Amazon, there are probably, you know, five to ten million books, if not more, in the same genre you are putting a book up there. So basically what you're doing is you're sending a whisper into a, into a lot of noise. So the key here is figuring out how do, I, how do I build my readership? How do I get my book noticed among all this noise? And that's where it comes in. You, it takes a lot of work, and there is no secret. You know, a lot of people will sell you a, you know, get your book to the top of Kindle course in a week type thing, and you know, it's just not sustaining. If you're going to be a long-term author with a big backlist and a lot of readership, uh, it does take a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of marketing. Uh, it takes a lot of interaction with readers, you know, getting out on social media and putting yourself out there. And, and that's one of the things that the Internet has, has kind of opened up the doors because never before have readers been able to actually chat with authors. You know, you're not going to go on, uh, find Stephen King on Twitter and have a conversation with him, but most other self-published authors you can't. So, uh, you know, it, you have to approach it from a business standpoint. You have to do your marketing, and you have to put in a lot of effort. But you're, you're right. You know, you, you do have a greater percentage of profits going the self-published route. And, you know, and, and again, that's where I think a lot of the traditionally published authors are going. And it's simply because they can make more money self-publishing than they could with the big house. Yeah. And, and everybody recognizes the two sides we're talking about here. So if you get – a small percentage of a big number, you still may be better mm -hmm. off. When you self-publish, you can get 70%, depending on how you're doing it, you're from your own site, you're going to get 100%. But then can you, in fact, increase the number of sales significantly so that you would outweigh getting a tiny percentage? I mean, I, I look at every project that I do in multiple ways. And as you know, like with uh, – 
40 Days to the Wookiee Love, which we're getting ready to release the 10th anniversary edition in January, which I'm excited about, but that's with a traditional publisher. So I get that little tiny royalty. But also, that's done in that's been done in two versions of Chinese. It's done in Romanian. It's done in Korean. Um, golly, actually, I can't even remember all the ones, but I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to do that as an individual author. I wouldn't be able to get near the reach that my books have gotten so that's the trade-off and the way I use those books, I'm very open about it, even with my publishers, I fill them with reasons for people to come back to our website, to come back to the primary website where they then get involved in the 48days.net community, where they come to live events, they get involved in coaching, our coaching mastery program, a mastermind, on and on and on. I mean, those are the ways that I make money using the books as just kind of a fancy business card as, as it may. And again, that, that can be frustrating to authors to view it in that way because they really want to write a great manuscript and then go sit in the lawn chair by the mailbox and wait on those big fat royalty checks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, I'd love to do that, Dan. <laughs> was that, wasn't that your experience with Wiley? I mean, a big New York name publisher, your first book? Didn't you just well, it, you it know, really, take a wheelbarrow? Take a wheelbarrow every day to pick up those checks? Yeah, and then that wheelbarrow got smaller and smaller and smaller, <laughs> and you know, and yeah, that you know, my my deal with Wiley, I had a really good agent. And I got what I what I think was a pretty good advance, and so you know, I would have to sell thousands and thousands and thousands of books to earn out my advance before I ever saw another penny from John Wiley. Um, you know, and so, and, and some publishers, you know, or some authors go that route. If, hey, if you're fortunate enough to get a good agent who gets you a good publishing deal, by all the me, you know, just take that wheelbarrow and go sit by the mailbox and, and enjoy life until, you know, the next book comes around. But again, that is such a small percentage. I mean, with, with my book, Dan, with my fiction book, which, you know, you read and you liked, I probably got turned down from 100, 125 agents for that book. Getting an agent to sign you is actually harder than getting a publishing deal. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I interviewed uh, uh, Steve Barry, who's one of the you know, best-selling authors of all time. He does uh, historical fiction. Uh, his latest book, I think, is The Lincoln Myth. He was turned down 85 times over the course of, I think, 12 years. And on the 86th try the agent actually liked his book and picked him up. And now, you know, he sold tens of millions of books over the last 10 years. But, uh, you know, you, you read the, the autobiographies of some of these, uh, you know, authors that you think were just overnight successes. They actually toiled for years and years and years and were turned down time and time again. And, uh, you know, the, the one thing that I think is interesting, and you talked about the difference between self-publishing and publishing, is now there's this new field of authors called hybrid authors, and these are the authors that are selling their books to the large publishing houses just so they'll get their books in bookstores, but then they retain all the digital rights to their books, and they're doing everything online. So, you know, it's almost like a, I'm going to deal with everything online, and if this publisher sells something, that's just kind of gravy. Uh, Hugh Howey, who's probably one of the most successful self-published authors of all time, uh, that's what he he actually sold his print rights to, I don't remember the publisher, but it was a big house. 
but he retained all of his digital and ebook rights, and he's probably making you know five or six more times money doing it himself on the digital side. But he's still enjoying the the distribution and the recognition that he's getting from the big publishing house. So he's enjoying both sides of the coin. All right. Help our listeners understand that model a little bit better. So we have traditional publishing and we have self-publishing, and then you you threw in a model that's in between called a hybrid. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Explain that all the big publishing houses have a self-publishing arm. So it doesn't matter who it is, they have options for people who want to do it themselves. That means, well, just explain what that means in terms of what help you're going to get from the publisher that you may not get if you totally self-published. What the adva- what are the advantages of you know, being in that hybrid space? Yeah, well, the, the, the really successful hybrid authors all started out as self-published authors. It's kind of funny. They had tried to get agents. They had tried to get noticed by publishing houses. They had no luck. So they started self-publishing themselves and became really successful self-publishers. Then the big publishing houses took notice. You know, you go to Amazon.com, and, you know, they have all the best-selling self-published authors. And so, you know, the big publishing houses started contacting some of these authors who had proven that they could build an audience digitally, and the deals that were struck were, okay, Mr. Big Publishing House, I'm going to give you the rights to publish my book in paperback and hard copy, put it in bookstores, do whatever you normally do, pay me my percentage, but I'm going to retain the rights to everything I'm doing over here online. I'm going to retain all rights to my digital work, my Amazon work, etc. So they kind of get the eat out of two bowls, if you will. They've got their successful self-publishing career going over here, and now they've picked up the traditional publisher who is going to do the hard copies and basically just get the books into bookstores for them. So it's it's kind of a really nice uh, arrangement if you can arrive at it because you do get kind of the best of both worlds and you actually make a lot more money because you are retaining the digital rights. And the nice thing is if people see your books in the bookstore in hard copy, they're going to see the book, they're going to see your name, they may read the book, they're going to discover you online, and that customer is going to move into your online funnel where you're making a lot more money. So the, the hybrid arrangement, it's kind of new, and there's only – probably a handful of authors who who are doing it successfully, but I think it's something you're going to see more and more. But I think the self-published authors, they see that traditional publisher as a distribution center more than a publisher. They'll print the book. They'll get it in bookstores. They'll send you a check. And so they they actually get the best from both worlds. I've got a a guy now, he has, uh, I think, five books. And that's one of the keys to being successful at this is to write a lot of books and uh, he was just notified this week, uh, got a contract from a, a big publishing house that they want to take over the actual publishing arm of, of, his, uh, of his work. So, again, it's just uh, to him, he says it's free money. You know, they're going to sell books that I never would have sold, and I'm going to sell more because of it. So it's really a, a great arrangement for authors. And, there, and I love that, the fact that there are so many more options for us today. You know, in many ways, Working with one of these hybrids is almost being like in the minor leagues in a ball team. They're going to be watching you. I know that with Thomas Nelson, a publisher that I've worked with, uh, their their minor league team, their self-publishing arm is called Westbell. They have picked up people that sold 2,000 copies of a book. 
because they saw that happen and thought, wow, people like this. And with that small a number, then they then called them up to the major leagues, in essence, and reprinted the book as a, a traditional imprint. Um, one, one of the big ones in this space is Morgan James, and I really love their model. And we've got people, big-name people like Brendan Bouchard and Brian Tracy and uh, Ken Blanchard, people like that that publish with Morgan James. Everybody gets a $100 advance. That's their standard advance, 100 bucks. But the back end looks a lot different where you get, in essence, depending on digital and print, that kind of thing, but about, but about 50% of the net rather than 15. So it goes up dramatically, and a lot of well-known authors, knowing that their books are going to sell, prefer to work with somebody who does all the legwork to get it out there in distribution, do the cover and the printing and all of that, and yet they're going to get a much bigger percentage. So they're just lots of great options. Now, one of the things I want to back into a little bit here, you've mentioned that a couple times, Tim, and that is having an agent. Do people need to go looking for an agent? Is that an old model? Do they just bypass that? What are your thoughts about an agent? Well, you know, I said it earlier, it is really almost as hard to get an agent as it is to mm -hmm. get a publisher. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to approach a publishing house, you've got to have an agent. You know, the days are gone where you could – send a, a manuscript directly to the publisher. They only talk to agents. Getting an agent, again, your, your chances of doing so are slim to none. I've been turned down by lots of agents. Uh, every, everyone that I talk to is, has been turned down by agents. But if you're wanting to go the traditional publishing route, that's what you have to do. And I actually have interviews with agents on the website about you know, that, that process, you know, the query letter, the synopsis, that sort of thing. So that's how you get an agent. Fortunately, now you can query most agents online. You can do it by email. They'll actually take an email uh, uh, query. Um, you know, the thing with agents is you typically will get back a form letter or a form email that just says, you know, we're not interested. You don't get a hell of a lot of feedback from an agent because they just they're inundated with with manuscripts every day. So if you are going to go the traditional route, though, you you pretty much have to have an agent. Now, if you're going to self-publish, there's absolutely no need to have an agent because you are doing everything yourself. You know, you don't need an agent really until you're doing some kind of big deal that requires a lawyer and that sort of thing. And that's one thing I find very interesting. The, the hybrid authors, the ones that were successfully self-published that were uh, contacted by major publishers, they were even told, we have to do this deal through an agent. Let us give you a number. And so they actually had to get an agent involved or a literary attorney to actually do the deal. So, but, you know, the one thing I find very interesting is these uh, agents and publishers are now kind of trolling Amazon looking for clients or authors that they think they can pick up and sell a ton of books. And if you go to Amazon and you see someone like a, a Hugh Howey or a Russell Blake, you know, people that are selling tens of thousands of, of self-published e-books a month – you look at their sales numbers, it's a pretty safe bet for an agent or a publisher to try to work a deal with them. But, you know, you, you, the, the analogy you make of the going from the minors to the majors is perfect because they don't call you up to the majors until you've shown what you can do in the minors. So if you're a self-published author that's selling a lot of books, you're getting a lot of attention, you're building an audience, you know, chances are at some point you are going to be contacted by an agent or a publisher who's going to try to bring you up to those those big leads, as it were. But, uh, you know, again, those deals are are hard to do. 
You know, you've got to sell a lot of books. You've got to build your audience and build your readership uh, to get your numbers up simply because there are so many books on Amazon. You're competing with, with again, millions of books in your genre, and you've got to, you've got to really stand out and, and build that audience. And, you know, there's a whole uh, grade of, of authors. We call them mid-grades. These are the people that authors that are making a living from their work, selling their work on Amazon. And, you, you know, you may never hear of them unless you're interested in their particular genre or you find their books, but they're making a, a very nice, you know, living uh, doing the, what we call the mid-grade is, is uh, selling books on Amazon. They're, they're pretty much self-employed authors. And uh, I think you'd be surprised how many people there are out there doing that. And then, of course, you've got the handful that are, are superstars. But I think there are a lot more authors out there now making a living from their own work than there ever been uh, before, simply because self-publishing is so easy to do now. Well, there are, there are authors, too. I'm always excited to talk to authors who are in specialty markets, authors whose names you will never hear, but they make a whole lot of money. And they write books like for some of the multi-level marketing companies where they're specifically focused on a niche area like that. So they sell. And, and here's the thing. You know, there, there's a principle, Tim, and I'm sure you know it well, Occam's Razor. It's just look for the simplest solution. If I want to sell 50,000 copies of one of my books, typically I would go try to find 50,000 people to each buy one book. Occam's Razor says, who could I get to put in one order for 50,000 books? So a company may, or, or an author may write a book on leadership and go to IBM and they order 50,000 copies with their logo imprinted on the cover. You'll never hear that author's name as a bestseller, but he makes more money than a lot of people that are struggling to get onto Amazon. I love those exactly. kind of niche opportunities for people to write, enjoy what they're doing, make a good living, but not necessarily just following the old beaten path. Yeah, it, it, I think that's one of the keys is to find a successful niche. And it doesn't matter if you are fiction or nonfiction. You know, one, one of the, the things that I hear over and over from authors, I ask them, okay, how did you do this? Uh, you know, every one of them say, I, I picked my niche. I read a lot of books in that niche, and then that's what I focused on. And that niche may be self-help. It may be romance, okay? So you can go to either the, the nonfiction or the fiction but if you find that niche and you write great books in that niche and you become the expert in that niche, uh, you're right. Most people uh, may never have heard of you, but you may be making a great living selling your books in that niche. Believe it or not, there are people out there who've never heard of Dave Ramsey, have never heard of Dan Miller, and surely have never heard of me. <laughs> but, you know, we, we all seem to be doing okay. Dave and you better than me, but uh, – you know, but the the point there is, if you build your audience, you sell in that audience, and you sell over and over and over. I mean, look at what you do, Dan. You sell, you know. I, there there are people there that have everything you've ever written, right? Yeah. They, they've bought every book you've ever written. They've bought your workbooks. They have your DVDs. They have everything you've ever done. You know, those are those are that raging horde of fans that that we used to talk about in the entrepreneur classes. You know, people that love what you do become fanatical about it, and they'll buy everything you put out as long as it's quality work. You know, you can't put out too many shoddy products and retain your audience. Um, but and the beautiful thing about that is they become the marketers for you. Have you read Dan Miller's book? Have you read Forty Eight Days? No. Well, you've got to go get it. 
So, you know, you know as well as anybody that, that your work has to impact lives or you will have a very short career. But, you know, you're right. You find that niche and you become the man or the woman in that niche. And, you know, you can carve out a really nice living without anyone other than the people uh, in your tribe knowing who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I want to push a little deeper on something you just touched on there. Now, you gave me a whole bunch of things here that you've learned from interviewing these authors that you've talked to. One is write books that people want to read. Can you expect, I mean, that seems pretty self-evident, but we right. see a lot of books out there that are going to have interest to your first cousin and your mother, but perhaps not beyond that. How do you, how do you right. address that with a wannabe author? Well, you know, the, and, and sometimes this is a very hard pill to take, but not everybody cares about your divorce, your disease, your trouble with your kids, anything, you know, you, you can write a book about that stuff, but don't expect everyone to jump on that book. And I can't tell you how many authors I talk to that write those kind of books and just don't understand why nobody is buying their book. You know, your personal story may be inspiring to you, but to others, I'm sorry, it may just be whining. Send hate mail to Tim at TimNox.com. Um, you know, you've got to write a book that people want to read. If you've got a personal story like that, uh, you know, a, a story of triumph that inspires is one thing, but a story that just talks about how miserable your life is is going to be something else. You have got to write a book that people want to read, that they emotionally attach with, that they want to share with friends, and the biggest thing is that makes them want to read more of your books. And if you don't have that, that first book out the gate, you know, it, it's not going to work for you. A lot of the authors that I talked to, they didn't really start gaining traction until they'd written their ninth or tenth book. You know, Hugh Howey had written, I think, nine books before anyone picked up uh, his hit book was called Wool, read that, and then went, hey, I wonder what else this guy writes. And then he had a backlist of like, you know, five or six other books. So you've got to write books that people want to read. And believe it or not, you may not do that the first time or the second time or the third time. But if you keep on writing, maybe one day you will. And that's when things will really pick up and take off for you. But, you know, you've got to think anytime you sit down to write a book, you've got a story in your head, but you have to think of the reader. You know, in business, we always talk about you have to think of the customer. What is the benefit of what you are selling to that customer? And your book in this scenario is your product. And if it's not a product that the customer wants, i.e. wants to read, you're not going to sell a whole lot of books. So always keep that in mind. You've got to write a book that people want to read and can emotionally attach to. You know, and I, you know, I mean, you and I both encounter people every day who have a story to tell. But just because it's unique, because it's meaningful to you, I, mean, I can go down here in Franklin and I can open a little store and I can sell you know, square wooden wheels. Golly, they're unique, they're different, they're interesting, they're beautiful. Right. But you know what? Probably nobody really cares about that. Now, one of the things that I always deal with with my publishers, and I know you, your, your book, Everything I Know About Business, I learned from a mama, and you had a lot of your own personal story in there. But we with publishers, we deal with content that is descriptive and prescriptive, meaning descriptive, yeah, you can tell your story. But by golly, you know that radio station that people are listening to, Tim. What's that? 
That's that old. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I have them. They want to know what's in it for me. So you better get to the part where you tell them what they need to do, what they need to do to improve their life or to take care of that challenge. So the combination between descriptive and prescriptive can sometimes help those people that have an interesting story, but they get caught up in doing nothing but telling a story. That that only goes so far. Um, well, you, you've got so many things in here that you've learned from these people. One of the things you say, read lots of book in your genre. How unrealistic is it for somebody to want to write a great book if they're not a reader themselves? You know what? Out of all the authors that I've interviewed, and I've probably interviewed about 110, 115 authors now, every one of them was a reader. Every one of them was a voracious reader from the time they were old enough to read, all through college, all through adulthood, and they were voracious readers in the genre that they ended up writing about. Uh, for example, um, if, if I'm wanting to write suspense thrillers, I need to go read a whole bunch of suspense thriller books because what you're doing really is it's all formulaic. You are, you're learning the formula for writing a great book in that genre. If you're going to write romance books, you better have read 100 romance books. And, you know, Larry Wingett said it best. If you read 2,500 books on any topic, you, you are the, the expert, without a doubt. So it's very, very, very important that you read books specifically in your genre because every genre is, is a little different. You write romance books uh, differently than you write murder mysteries, differently than you write young adult. Uh, so it's very important for you to learn the formula, learn what's hot, you know, um, if if I was going today to to decide to read the, or to write the uh, vampire novels, I would go buy all of Anne Rice's books. I would even get the the Twilight books. You know, uh, you need to know everything that's being written in that genre. You need to know how to write it, and uh, you've you've got to be a reader. And I've I've you know to this day I I ask everyone, have you always been a reader? Oh yeah, from early on I was just voracious. So I think it would be difficult as I'll get out to write a book without ever having, you know, I would never write a, a Western without reading a Western book. Just couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, one of, the, one of the disadvantages that I had as a poor little boy was we didn't have TV or radio in our house. Guess what that forced me to do? Read great books. What a blessing. I, I need to thank my mom and dad daily. For the fact that we were, <laughs> we were so poor, it, it's one of those things. You know, we, we look at our own experience, and sometimes what we think is an obstacle opens us up to, you know, our, be our greatest asset. But I learned to love books just as a little kid, and I still love to read. You know, I'd rather on a Friday night, if I have a choice to go to a big party or read a new book, man, I'd really rather stay home and read the new book. Yeah, um, just and, really, and you know, the the authors that that are. Uh, are doing it successfully, they're still readers. There was an interview with Stephen King in the most recent Rolling Stone, and he talks about how many books he reads every week. You know, yeah. he still reads after all this time. Absolutely. Well, you've had such a rich exposure, Tim, in having written both fiction and nonfiction, having been with a major publisher, self-publishing, and now interviewing a whole lot of authors where you can pick their brains. Surely at this point, you've got all the tips figured out. Man, it's easy, easy peasy for you from here on out, right? 
<laughs> I, I have the recipe. Now all I have to do is bake the bread. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, I, I have got a lot of insights. And, you know, it really isn't difficult. There is a formula. But, you know, the one thing that I I keep hearing over and over and over, and this I think is the most important thing, is you just got to keep writing. You know, don't don't write the first book and then stop and wait for it to sell copies. You you need to start writing the second book and then the third book and then the fourth book. And, again, I, I mentioned Hugh Howley. You know, when he decided to become an author, he had a 10-year plan. He was going to take 10 years and just write and write and write as many books as he can. And he thought by the end of the 10 years, uh, you know, someone would notice one of his books and read it and pick it up. And then, you know, he would be very successful. Well, it took him eight years. And but, you know, he will tell you the secret to this is just to keep writing, you know, butt in chair, fingers on keyboards. That is really the secret to becoming a successful author is to just keep writing those books. And then the cool thing is, let's say you are eight books in, and all of a sudden you're featured on Amazon or someone picks up your book and, and you know uh, you, you finally start to gain some traction, those readers are going to read that book, and then they're going to wonder, well, what else has this person written? And then they want to go back and look at your backlog and read that. And, and that really is the key is to have a good backlog, a good library of books, and just keep writing and writing. And even after that, uh, you know, you're, you start to gain traction, you just write some more. That, that really is the key to being a, a successful author. You know, who knew the name Dan Brown before the Da Vinci mm-hmm. Code? And then when that came out, right. everybody discovered, wow, he had written Angels and Demons books before that. They went back and found those, just like you're talking about. Now, when you talk to these authors, crossing different genres of writing, are there still some common characteristics where you can kind of predict this person is going to make it? Or how much of this is just kind of luck, timing, and how much really is the formula that you're talking about where you see authors do the same things over and over? You know, that's it's a great question um, because I have had authors who – um, all of a sudden their their books just started selling on Amazon. And I asked them, how did that happen? And they went, I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. not quite sure what happened. So I think it's the old, you know, what is uh, luck is when opportunity and action meet. Is that the old saying? And I, I think that's typically the way this works. You know, the the ones that have made it are the ones that have kept writing. They've built up a good library of books. And then when someone does take notice, you know, maybe they get a great review or, you know, someone with a uh, high-traffic blog reviews it or whatever, you know, then it starts picking up traction and they start selling books. And once they, they get noticed, then the marketing machine takes over. And, you know, you really can put things in place to, to help you sell more books. But, you know, there's, there's no magic formula. You can. I, I know right now there are probably people out there who have written 20 to 30 books and have never sold more than a couple of copies, you know. But it may be the next book that gets picked up. But, you know, I think the key, Dan, is you've got to be proactive. You know, the things that get you noticed now are reviews on Amazon, reviews on websites like Goodreads. Um, you know, you, you try to do everything you can do to get noticed. You want to build up a, a large social media following, 
you know, you want to get to the point where you're like a, a Diana Gabaldon, who is the lady who wrote the, the Outlander series. I always call her the McDonald's of authors because when a new McDonald's restaurant opens, they never advertise. They just open the doors, and immediately people come in. Mm -hmm. Diana even thinks about writing a book, and people start lining up to buy it. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, I mean, she sold 20 million books. There's a TV show based on on her books. And you talk about a fanatical bunch of readers. Um, You know, she has this fan base that is just incredible. But she said the same thing. I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. I finally found I got something sold, and I keep writing. And she's been doing it for years, and she's one of the most successful authors ever. And, you know, she'll, she'll tell you the same thing. You've just got to keep writing. You gain traction, and then you've got to market, market, market. And I, I think it was Kiyosaki said, I may not be the best writer, but I am the best marketer. That's right. When we say best-selling author, people think it's because of great writing. You know, it's because of great selling. Hey, I, that leads exactly into, right. I, I got, have a couple quick questions I want to ask you here as we're kind of wrapping up. One is, you know, we've been talking this whole time about writing, getting content out there, just assuming there's a ready, hungry market. In general, how many people are readers? How, how many books does an average American read a year? You know, I, I haven't seen statistics lately. I do know that at one point they were saying that something like 10% of adults even picked up a book after high school. You know, the, old, you the old statistics. Now, I do believe that Amazon uh, and the e-readers has greatly increased the number of people who are actually reading books. You know, mm-hmm. you look at their sales numbers, and that will just tell you. <laughs> you know, there, there are a lot of people out there reading now. You know, as an author, the one thing that you need to think about are what are the, what are the reading habits of my, of my audience? Do they want to read on an, on an e-book reader? Do they want a book that they can literally hold? You know, my 18-year-old daughter is just, I mean, she reads and reads and reads. She has a Kindle, but if it's a book she likes, she wants the hardcover book. She wants to be uh-huh. able to hold that book. She wants to be able to turn the pages. She wants to be able to put that book on her bookshelf and see it there. So my kind I don't of girl. We'll ever, yeah, I don't know if we'll ever completely get away from books but I do know that, that the advent of e-readers and that sort of thing, I think, has, has greatly increased the, uh, the number of people who are reading, I think, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times over. Well, I, I'm certainly optimistic, but I've never been more excited about the opportunities, you know, as a writer to get in the mix here. Another thing uh, that we really haven't talked about much, you know, we, we assume that the traditional hardback book is 240 pages, 72,000 words. You know, that's just been a tradition for a very long time, what publishers look for, so they have a reasonable price point, that $21, $22.95 book in hardback. But readers, especially Gen X, Gen Y, millennials, a lot of them are saying, you know, don't bore me with all that. Just tell me, just tell me the highlights. You know, give it to me in 60 pages. And I know that even old, experienced veteran writers like Ken Blanchard says he'll never write a full-length book again. You know, after uh, the One Minute Manager and things like that, you know, he says he's going to write books that are about 60, 70 pages long. And you can even put books. We've seen our buddy Seth Godin do that a lot with Poke the Box and little books that are only 60, 70 pages long. You can read it on a short flight, but yet it's a hardback version, so it feels like what your daughter likes to have in her hand. But it, it's a different option. And so we've got the, the opportunity as writers to experiment with different kind of formats, not being locked into just 
one book that's possible out there. Hey, one last question for you, my friend. Hey, you know, we this is like old times. I mean, people may, may not know. Now, a lot of people do know. Remember, mm-hmm. back a few years ago, you and I did a Sunday night radio show together out of Nashville here on WWTN. God, is that just falls off my lips. We said it so many times, WWTN. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. 99.7. But we did a Sunday night show that was a blast doing that together, dealing with people's questions about career and business. I miss those old times. The radio has changed. You know, we've both gone on to podcasting, which is a way to expand our audience, which I'm thrilled about. But uh, miss those old days together. Sounds like old home week here with us just bannering back and forth. Now, with, with the things that you have been exposed to, and again, all the things that you have uh, seen in action and experimented with yourself, I'm curious, and I don't know this, what are your own personal goals for writing so over the next five years? Well, you know, that's a really good question. And, you know, I, I really love writing fiction. Um, you know, I, I I wrote the book Angel of Mercy a couple of years ago, and honestly, I wrote it kind of as therapy, to be, to be honest with you, because I was in a very dull position in my life. I, you know, no, no creativity whatsoever, and that book, uh, which is a novel about a, a, a reality television show that uh, actually kills the guests, uh, that book just came out very easily <laughs> for me, and I put it away then, and I didn't do anything with it. And that's really what got me interested in doing interviewing authors was figuring out how to market that book. But, you know, my, my juices are flowing again. I am uh, almost finished with the first draft of uh, my second novel, and uh, I'm just having a great time with that. You know, my goal with this is, is to do exactly what my, my interviewees are telling me to do. I'm going to just write and write and write. I'm going to put my books up. I'm going to self-publish. You know, if if an agent would like to come and uh, buy me a cup of coffee, and you know, we're, I'd always talk to them. But uh, I'm pursuing the self-publishing thing. My books are available on on Amazon. I've done some anthologies based on uh, some of the interviews I've done. Uh, but you know, my goal within the next few years is I just I'm like you, Dan. I want to do a little bit of everything. I love doing the radio. I love doing the podcast. But I'm an old writer. You know, my goal is to eventually just just write for a living and uh, sit out on the back deck with the dogs and watch the sun come up or go down. Either one. <laughs> well, Tim, you, you know I'm not much of a novel reader, but your book, Angel of Mercy, I found absolutely fascinating. That was that was my one fiction book for the year, I think. But I, you know I what? I, I got to be honest with you. The fact that you read that book and you liked that book meant the world to me. Because uh, I was on pinch. I'm like, Dan doesn't read fiction. He's just doing this to be nice. And then you, you gave me a great review, and I'm like, wow, that, that is probably the uh, the review that I'll always remember is the one I got from Dan Miller, the one fiction uh, book he read out here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually passed that on to a movie producer where I know they look for, they look for stories, and I said, this would be a great movie. Now, I never told you about that because, you, you know, I didn't want to muddy the water. And uh, obviously, they never <laughs> followed through and contacted you. So be that as it may. But I certainly yeah. thought it was worthy of that. That would have been great as a movie. Um, uh, you know, that, that point there, the, and you and I have talked about this in the past. I, I'm, I believe in the power of connections. You know, you passing that book on, it's kind of funny. There's a, one of the authors I interviewed, his name is John Lyman. And he had written, he writes a series of books called God's Lions, which are kind of Dan Brownish books. Uh, he actually just uh, got a movie deal on his books because 
this woman picked up his book somewhere and just loved it, and her husband ended up being a movie producer. So you just never know when those dots are going to connect, Dan. I may get a call tomorrow from this producer. You don't know. I have. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I would love to see that happen. Tim, so you've got a couple of books out there. We already mentioned a couple of titles. And you also have your interviewing authors anthology. Tell us about that and how people can access those. Yeah, the, what I've done is I think there's five or six of them. They're on Amazon. Uh, what I do whenever I interview someone, I, I not only take the audio file, but I have it transcribed. And, and all the transcriptions are on the website. You can go to interviewingoffice.com. Uh, you can listen to every interview we've done. You can read the transcript. Uh, so what I did, I had folks you know, say, hey, I'd, I'd really like to download those transcripts. And so what I would do is I'd just take three or four interviews, and I'd compile them in a Word file, and I had covers done, and i upload them to, uh, to Kindle and Amazon. And you can go over, and let's say if you're particularly interested in uh, romance novels, there's one there that uh, are, are interviews with four romance novelists. So the, uh, the transcriptions, the anthologies, I think are really great advice because you read these, and you know we don't really do it like a Q&A. We just kind of have a conversation. And the thing that I found is these authors are, are far more forthcoming when you do that. And so each book is probably about 100 pages. And, uh, I mean, they're 99 cents. You can get them on Amazon, download them. Uh, and then if you want to listen to the interviews, you can come over to the website and do that. Wow. What a great resource to have. You know, one of the key characteristics of highly successful people, this is an old Brian Tracy thing that I read years and years ago, is they spend time with people who are already performing at the level at which they want to perform. Man, I'm envious of you spending all this time with successful authors to pick their brains and learn what they're doing. Um, wow. I mean, I enjoy your interviews, but I know being in the driver's seat, you get a lot of more back-end information there. It's got to be a rich, rich education for you. Well, Tim, my friend, I appreciate you spending your time with us tonight. Your willingness to just open your heart and your, your brain here, share your wisdom and expertise with our, our listeners. I know it's been valuable. We'll put this in our archives where people can go back and get a real overview of what this writing process is all about. So any parting words you want to leave with our listeners tonight? Well, you know, the, the thing that I would just say is if, if you are, if you feel in your heart that you're, you are an author, that is your destiny to be an author, uh, you know, I'll give you the advice that, that every author I've interviewed has given me, and that is just keep writing. Keep your head down. You know, it's the old butt in chair, fingers on keyboard. That's the best advice I can get. And, you know, read, learn, uh, learn to network, and keep in mind that if you are a self-published author, you're also an entrepreneur. You're running a business. Your books are your product. Uh, so, you know, it might not hurt to uh, to read a, a business book or two, Dan. Maybe hey, mine. Absolutely. <laughs> that gentle <laughs> mix of being a writer and a business person. Mm-hmm. Love it how they're linked together. All right, Tim. Hey, thanks for being with us. Thanks to you, our listeners, for being on. That will conclude this Tuesday night brainstorming session for 48days.net community. Let us know what you're doing. Make sure you get involved in the conversations there to let us know what you're doing, what your successes are, so we can share those as well. All right. With that, we'll conclude this Tuesday night brainstorming session.